0: Alright, this is Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. This week, Ruthie Rogers, chef-owner of London's River Cafe. Uh, I've known Ruthie for, God, like 10 or 15 years, and I realized that I've never asked how she and Rose Gray opened the River Cafe. And... It's a restaurant that I've been to several times, and I love. It's kind of exactly the type of food that I sort of find myself gravitating towards, which is to say just super simple Italian, Italian food, the best ingredients with very little done to them. And so Ruthie's here in New York doing a little tour for the re-release of the original River Cafe cookbook, which came out in 1996, uh, and they re-released it on the 30th anniversary of the River Cafe itself. So, Ruthie and I talk about how two friends who were never trained as professional chefs managed to open one of Europe's most acclaimed restaurants, and whether that chocolate nemesis dessert, that elusive chocolate nemesis dessert, actually works in the new cookbook. All right, here's Ruthie and me. Let's do this.
1: Okay. Already
0: rolling. Uh, Ruthie, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Adam. It's great to be here in New York, this beautiful view.
0: Not the most beautiful day, though.
1: Not a beautiful day, but, you know, we're used to that in London. It's the view (laughs) that we don't have. Incredible view.
0: Very low-lying city for the most part.
1: It is very low-lying. Very, very... Low-lying is in height? Are you saying Oh, yeah, like most
0: of the buildings... You have those fancy new buildings here and there, but for Mm. the most part, the buildings are pretty not tall right
1: well what London yeah oh yeah no but London's changing now we're we're having skyscrapers in the city and you know once you have one then you have another and another you've got like you've so got like the gherkin the, and the, the shard gherkin and the shard my husband's in the cheese grater oh yes and so every it's very different I mean they don't do that here do they? <laughs> don't, I don't know when it started when they started giving buildings nicknames I yeah guess we, it ha- we to have make like more human
0: I guess like in New York you've got like the Flatiron Building yeah and, well, the Empire State, oh, that's more of the official name that's, than like yeah, a nickname.
1: Yeah, and then there are the corporate names. I remember, you know, we used to know buildings by the Seagram Building, the Ford oh, yeah. Foundation. The Woolworth you know, Building. CBS Building. Well, you know, that was when, I suppose, do we want to talk about this or are we going into food? But I suppose it was when, you know, um, corporations felt they wanted to have a public face of generosity so that you saw you know as you say the Woolworth building was suddenly a building you could visit and I remember my father taking me to see buildings of companies yeah
0: you know. I mean at the time the <coughs> Woolworth building which we actually have a view of right out this mm-hmm. window if the, if the weather was better today um, that was a re- that was at the time the tallest building in New York City what year is that well 30s? early nineteen hundreds before oh, the really? the Empire State went up, which was during the Depression. So yeah. yeah, 1920s. Again, interesting
1: that during the Depression they actually invested in infrastructure.
0: Yeah. Emma's like, this is not a this, this is, is a <laughs> podcast <laughs> about food. What are you guys talking about? But there's that the building is fascinating. The build I'm gonna tie it all in actually. Yeah. The building where eleven Madison Park is, on, on Madison Park, right there, uh north of twenty third street is it's as old, sort of. I guess you could kind of say Art Decoy mm-hmm. era building, limestone sort of material, and it looks truncated. It's a city block yeah. building that does not, be, you know, tear up as high as a, a skyscraper should, and it's because they ran out of money. They stopped it, did they? During, they're like, okay. yeah, we're we're done. Wow. And so it's it's a it's a much more of a squat, bulky looking yeah. building than a tall yeah. sort of.
1: Building. Yeah. Uh, the, the, that, you know, coming to New York, there still is that incredible energy of whatever era you were in, whether it was the 60s and those buildings yeah. on Park Avenue or, as you say, the Chrysler and the we, Empire We could actually State.
0: tie it back to the Seagram's Building is where the grill is. And we went there. Formally. We went. Oh, so the grill. So how did you like the grill, which used to be the Four Seasons? That's right.
1: So I kind of grew up. And the well, not as a child, but although I am from here, but Richard um, Rogers, my husband, is an architect. Philip Johnson used to take us, who was his professor at Yale. Used to, when we really? came to New York, we had the obligatory but wonderful lunch with Philip, in which he would take us to the restaurant in the Four Seasons, and. Wow. Um, it was thrilling. you you know, So for the what, 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 walked what in, year are we talking? Well, that would have been before the Pompidou, I suppose, just before, in the early 70s, maybe well. 73, 70. Oh, I no, that would have been after. Pompidou was won one. So it really, it's 1970, 71. And then Philip Johnson was on the jury of the Pompidou. And so then he took it even more um, kind of benevolent. Uh, you know, taking care of Richard and myself because yeah. he was the he had chosen him as the architect.
0: Wow. And so Philip, yeah, Philip designed the interior of the, the Four Seasons, thing, yeah. whereas Mies Van Der Rohe designed the building itself.
1: Yeah, I, that's right. He, Philip, did, did Mies not do anything with the, the interior? I the don't restaurant? think no. Don't and, it's, and it's
0: the actually the only landmarked interior restaurant in New York yeah. City. Yeah, and yeah. And so when the guys from Major Food Group took it over to open the grill last year. They were not allowed. They could, they were able to refurbish it yeah. and clean like the sculptures and the art and whatnot yeah. and spiff it up and they could bring a new glassware and whatnot, but they couldn't affect the actual space itself. Yeah. All right. So speaking of restaurants, all right. Let's let's say we're on a plane, Ruthie. On
1: am plane.
0: We're on an airplane. Okay. All right. We have maybe maybe we have a little like one of those plastic cups of champagne. Right. They give you if you're sitting in in the fancy seats. Yeah. And you and I are talking. We've never met. And I'm like, oh, so what do you what do you do in London?
1: Right. What do you tell, what do you say? Oh, I'd say um, my, you know, my identity. What do I do personally? I or like, What I'm do I'm I do when I have free time? What's your, what's your job? Oh, what's my job? Yeah. My job is the um, head chef and patron, owner of the River Cafe. Oh, what's, what's the River And the, yeah, river, what's cafe the, what, yeah, what the river Cafe is a restaurant. Well, first of all, I'd be kind of upset that you had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I might change my seat. And say, I've heard of the River Cafe. I, I oh, is it related to the River Cafe in New yeah, York? Yeah, that's right. The River Cafe in New York. <laughs> I probably at that point would say I have things to read, you know, because <laughs> the effort. No, of course not. As a matter of fact, even taxi drivers, you know. I tell the story that when Rose, we started out. My 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 partner, um, who I started the River Cafe, used to get in the back of a cab. Even we just open and say, River Cafe, and you know the terrifying moment for me if the driver didn't know where he was going. But I have to say now, you really can get in a cab and say and River Cafe, it. and they know, which is nice. So you do like but
0: you do, like British food?
1: Oh no, oh no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're being re- you're still sitting next to me. We're and still asking still sitting me next to
0: me. Yeah, what I'm I, cook. Like, I've, I just re- asked for my seven gla- second glass of like champagne with. And a little I'm still talking juice. to you. Yes.
1: That's interesting. I haven't moved yet. <laughs> You've asked me what kind you of You didn't like, pop your ambient and yet. Are we traveling from London? No, to No, we're going to London.
0: I need. Some oh, we're going to New York. That because because might be
1: better because if I heard that you'd been in London and no. you still didn't know about the River Cafe, but, I might but, get off the plane, much less my seat. But
0: yeah. I'm a total foodie, so I wanted a someplace goodie. So you do like you do like prime rib and stuff.
1: Yeah, lots of prime rib. Yeah. Oh, every minute! No, we do. We are um, a totally traditional Italian restaurant with, I suppose, a contemporary take—not on the food so much, but on the way that the restaurant looks. But our our sourcing, our knowledge is really, I would say, very traditional Italian food. In that, and it sees regional. So there are some reasons we might do more than others, but we look to Italy as our classic Italian cooking.
0: Okay, I'm back to being Adam. Yeah. So you opened 30, 31 years ago? I opened
1: in 1987, 30 years ago, yeah.
0: So at the time, you and, and Rose opening in what was kind of a commissary at your husband's, connected to your husband's architectural firm.
1: Right, well... Can I interrupt you yeah, there? Yeah, sure. Yes, Okay, please. so the, the, when we opened the restaurant, we, we we were totally ambitious to be an Italian restaurant. Yeah, what were you thinking? And the Why? myth Why? that, that came up was that we wanted to be my uh, Richard's staff canteen. So this is about restrictions. This is about two women who wanted to open a restaurant. Rose had cooked and lived in Italy. My whole background was in Italian food because of my family, That I'm, my husband's family. Came from Florence and Trieste. Um, But the the restrictions were placed on us immediately. One, that we could only be open at lunchtime. Two, that we could only serve food to the people who worked in the offices. So going back a step, we'd lived in Paris, we were opening up an architectural practice when we came back and we didn't want to just go into any office, we wanted a sense of community. So we found these warehouses on the banks of the Thames and we wanted a place to eat. And out of that came the River Cafe because I wanted to do it myself with Rose.
0: Okay, my question is: You guys were neither professional chefs, right? Nor business people. What oh. made you think you could open a restaurant and, and
1: succeed? Well, I think we were older, so we felt quite confident. You know, we older were, meaning what? Well, I was thirty-eight, and mm-hmm. Rose was forty-eight, and I think we'd had lots of children, and we just um, we and we thought we could do it. We well, we knew we could cook, we knew we could do it, and the great thing, as I was going to say is that the restrictions that we had, which were really scary, because, you know, being small and being only open at lunchtime and only to a very small audience was really challenging in terms of a business. A business, nobody would ever write out a business plan on those conditions. But what it did do is it let us grow with the restaurant. So we started very small, and then, you know, we were able to open to the, um, to the public after about six months. And by then we were kind of, more knowledgeable. And um, after that, we were allowed open to the public, then we opened to dinner, then we were open the weekends, but this took years. And also, everybody, we all talk about the family, the love, the closeness of the River Cafe, but we did have Richard's office accountant. And I always say from the first day, if I drank an espresso, I paid for an espresso. And having that rigorous business um advice or planning or again a restriction mm, I think really helped us because I think that we were we were careful
0: I know it helps me just in my job if we if I God bless Barbara Prose, but if I may say, she's a hard ass, and God bless her for that. Our yeah. finance director, because like her being such a hard ass allows us on the editorial side to be a little bit more, yeah, creative, exactly. knowing that yeah. someone's yeah. holding down the fort and making yeah. sure we're we're. we're I mean, it still keys. took us.
1: It took us. We lost money for the first four years because even no matter how careful we were, or what we did, it was almost unsustainable.
0: Well, let's talk about it. so your food is very simple and i mean that in the best way and i realize that simple is never simple but a lot of what we now i feel take for granted as shoppers or restaurant goers like i can go buy fresh imported buffalo mozzarella that yeah. just got off a plane i can buy Puntarelle in this when in season i can buy all these ingredients from italy that we now have this demand for you can buy fresh porcinis i imagine in london 30 years ago this was not the case
1: no it was definitely not the case. We used to um, go to Italy and sometimes carry things back with us. You could get you could get salted anchovies from Portugal, you could get uh, whether there was petarga probably not, but you could and punterel. But again, we we brought seeds back, we grew cavallonero with our supplier. We made Ribolitas. If you look at the early menus, we were using a lot of the ingredients that we could get but you cannot depend on the all our fish and all our meat i would say since the first day we opened has been sourced off the waters or the farms of england scotland and wales but in terms of vegetables we do rely on the italian market i like to say that the only thing that's flown in is the mozzarella from naples otherwise we have a. But
0: when, did, when did when did when did you start getting that like, uh, pretty you- early
1: on there was a guy called francesco who was a you know a charming rather of aristo from from Rome and he decided to bring in um mozzarella we'd often get it it's um uh, we'd get calls saying it's stuck at customs so you can't have it today but he did bring it in and i think i always give site credit to people who say, what changed i think a lot changed and i could go on for hours about it but i think travel that when freddie laker when the airlines started saying you can fly to florence for thirty pounds. You know, yeah. everybody started travelling. Everybody went to Italy. Italy came to London. And what it meant was that if you'd eaten a you know, amazing carbonara in in Rome, you wanted to eat it in London. If you had a Papa Pomodoro in Tuscany, you wanted to eat it in London. And so there was a kind of reciprocal kind of demand and uh, giving of these ingredients.
0: All right, if I may. Mm -hmm. Rubber Cafe, not Mm -hmm. cheap. No, no, no. It's Uh,
1: not expensive either. It's what it is. We can get to that. It's fair. Okay, okay. Okay. It's fair. fair. I would say it's fair. People, people might not come before because it is expensive, but they rarely complain about it. They will not feel they've been robbed and or or taken advantage of.
0: I would say what's interesting is, you know, the reason it's not cheap is because you know what's expensive a ball of fresh mozzarella flown yeah. in from yeah. italy four hours earlier yeah
1: you know it's expensive vegetables yeah you so, know so go so how, and, did how did you, much did that punch how punch did you cost convince
0: you? that initial crowd to spend however many pounds for a plate of mozzarella with olive oil and salt. Yeah. Like, did they get it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I once had a man come up to me and say, you're charging me six pounds, this was in like 90, yeah. for basically bread and tomatoes and a bit of olive oil and some basil, and that was Papa Pomodoro, you know. Yeah. But then, you know, the bread, we you know, we can do this. The bread was a Tuscan, the, the sourdough Tuscan bread. The olive oil was first pressed olive oil. And the basil did not come from Israel or from Spain. It yeah. came from Liguria. And we only made it when we could get those ingredients. And there you are. You know, we're not, we're, you know, it's, it's a fair price. But how,
0: much of, how much of an uphill battle was that? Like I get it, and I get it now, and I'm obviously playing devil's advocate yeah. here. Did it take a while to convince the London restaurant-goer that what they were getting and why it was worth
1: it. No, I don't think it did. You know, I think that people, it took a while to understand that you'd have to travel, you know, to the Thames Wharf, which is in, you know, at that time felt quite far away or that, you know, there was an open kitchen or there were, you know, there was all, you know, that you would have a very short menu or that you might have eaten the day before and had a turbot grilled with um Agretti and you know Tomato and the next day you might have Had sea bass and no turbot the money really Has been you know sometimes if you want to If I want to ruin my day I look at TripAdvisor you know? <laughs> That's that's, a, you know. So <laughs> I've come in And said you know this place you Can't see the river you know and yeah. they Rip you off and the waiters are rude And it's noisy and it's like oh my You to know, shoot yourself I was you know? in
0: Paris a few days ago for work and I was looking up Trying to find something and like, TripAdvisor stuff is always The first thing that comes up and I'm like who looks at this stuff but like, why stop?
1: Why is this always
0: the first thing? Yeah, I'm, yeah. Trying, I'm like, God, ah, it's and like so annoying. S- and it's like the only you could get a hundred people to go to a restaurant, ninety eight are happy and they just walk, pay their money, yeah. walk out the door. It's the two people who are pissed off yeah. are the ones that feel compelled and to go. on Exactly. 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 Yeah, exactly. All right. So, let me, so I guess my question is: this, so, you're two sh- two non-professional chefs, two women at the time, especially yeah. back then, which yeah. was a big thing. You're not at all close to central London, mm-hmm. and you're trying to. Serve food that the average probably Londoner was not used to ordering at restaurants in London. Like, did you think like, oh my god, what are we doing? What
1: are we doing? As I said, I think we had a kind of we we had a, such a, we had a kind of very clear vision of what we wanted yes. to do. We had great people who worked for us. You know, very slowly at first, it was just Rose and myself, and then we had Sam Clark, and then we had Hugh Friendly Whittington, and then we had Sean and Win uh, Owen, who's still there. We had people who worked for us, and I think. If you're committed to what you're doing, if you kind of know that what you're doing is okay and you have a vision, people, I think people came. You know, people came. They liked it. They yeah. told their friends. There was very – maybe some people came and didn't come again, but we didn't – there wasn't a lot of convincing that had to go. And I, I think the book really helped as well yeah. when we did the book. Well, oh, definitely. I
0: mean, I, it's funny. I bought the book when I was in college back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I just and I re- a I remember the cover, yeah, very graphic, the yeah. blue and white cover. Yeah. The blue book yeah. is that what you cu- call the it? The blue, blue book yeah. and no,
1: the idea that there was a cookbook without food on the front. I yes. think it was like one of the first books that actually we we said we don't want any picture of us or food.
0: It's funny because just sort of intuitively that struck a chord with me. Like I said, mm. I was twenty one years old or something, mm. and I remember cooking from it. Uh, in college, and I I had never been to the River Cafe, never heard of it. Yeah, but there's something about that book and the way it looked, and then A looking little, at the recipes, book. and they're short, yeah. and you're like, oh, yeah. like this speaks to me. Yeah, and somehow, so my question is like, when you were, it's interesting when you're talking about the names you were mentioned, like Sean, one of your chefs who's still with you, Joseph, who's been there for how, yeah. how long? Have each of them been there for? Well, I've,
1: last night Sean was saying, I think she's been there. Uh, she came in 1990. Eight or nineteen ninety nine. Wow. So twenty years. Danny's been the you know it's a very strong Bashti team. Bashti, Bashti, team. Charles, yeah.
0: And it's interesting. Eight, in most most restaurants, are there's a lot of turnover. Yeah. Um, they also can be very combustible, combative places. Can you talk about at the time, the fact that you were two women opening a restaurant who had not come up under sort of these. domineering hostile male chefs. Um, You know, at the time in London you had Mm -hmm. the Marco Pierre Whites of the Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. How do you think you set up your kitchen and your restaurant differently than some of the other?
1: Well, I think in a way it was an advantage that Rose and I never worked for anyone else. Mm -hmm. I mean, she did work with the McNally brothers a little bit here. But basically you know, Rose had, without sounding mushy or soft, Rose had four children I had four children. We voted the same way. We had a way of Cooking that was again that if you had a ta- if you had friends coming to dinner and you weren't ready they helped you you know everybody kind of participated my children grew up chopping and washing and doing all the 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 preparation and so we thought let's have a restaurant where everyone is involved everyone whether is a- in that days we needed it because there was only one kitchen porter rose and myself and a couple waiters and so we knew that we wanted to have a restaurant that really got the best out of people by understanding them as, as individuals. I don't want to make it sound too family-ish no. because there was, you know, it still is, it's, a, it's, it's really professional and there's a performance and you have to be really good at your job. But behind that, the way to get the best out of people is through, dare I say, hope rather than fear. And that was two women who knew that they wanted to respect the people who worked for them, respect each other. We weren't competitive with each other because we were both how older. Was that, how was that possible? Well, I think that we were older, you know, maybe we'd been through it. I'd worked in graphic design, Rose was an artist, and we just knew that we were quite different characters. Mm. And I think that's true today, that if you set up, somebody asked me at that conference, you know, um, isn't it, it's so hard to be a chef, you know, it's so hard. How do you deal with people who, you know, want to have another, have babies or get pregnant or get sick or what, or just want a life? And and so doesn't that stop a lot of people from being a chef? How do you deal with that? And I always say there's no, I'd like to say there's no difference between being a chef and being an architect, a journalist, the editor of Bon Appetit, um, uh, uh, you know, a lawyer, that basically it's up to us to make the workplace as, you know, conducive to working well. And that you don't, you know, you don't need to get in at seven to start or six to start making pastries. You don't need to stay until two to clean down. You know, there are ways you do. We make everyone in the restaurant have two days off a week. Nobody can work more than two shifts in a row. Then they don't. If you do a double, you don't do the next morning. And they work better. They, they cook better, you know, and you pay them well. And, all that, I think, makes for a better work environment. I don't know if that's what you're asking me. No, but. no,
0: it, 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 it absolutely is. You also mentioned getting everyone involved. It, uh, I thought I read somewhere, or you, maybe you told me one time, that uh, like if you're on the wait staff before service begins, you're still helping shell beans. Have yeah, you never and seen that?
1: If you come in in the morning um, at 9 o'clock, you'll see every waiter and the receptionist before she starts or they do, do different shifts um, preparing what we call you know, the prep. So they will wash the spinach, they'll wash the anchovies, they will um, drain the capers, chop the parsley. They don't cook. I mean, sometimes in the summer we ask them to put peppers on the grill, but basically they, they do all that. And what that does, and while we're writing the menu, so you walk in, you'll see sort of six or seven chefs doing um, either the pastry, or prepping the lamb or the, the beef or the meat, yeah, other meats and fish, because everything comes in whole. You'll see the head chef, that would be myself, or it would be Sean, or it would be Joseph, or Danny, Joanne, at the table looking at what is left, it's like you do at home, what's left in the fridge from the night before, there are these lists, what's left over, what's been ordered, fish, meat, vegetables. And then you look at the team you have, and then we sit down and write the menu. And Sean was saying So yesterday, every day you're doing that, that every day. day for that Not lunch. Not only yeah, for that lunch. And then the whole thing is repeated again at three o'clock. And so basically from nine to ten thirty, the waiters are doing the prep. They're, they're as I said, they're washing the rocket and chopping the parsley. The um the other and then the head chefs are writing the menu. And so we'll sit down, I'll look at what team I have. I'll say, actually this is a really good team of waiter, of chefs today. So we're gonna be a bit more ambitious or I might think you know, maybe we should hold off a bit Got on some doing something. On and so you look at the team, and then you decide, sort of. Uh, Sean say um, again, I quote Sean, "What you feel like eating?" You yeah. know, I woke up this morning, and actually, I really feel like eating this. So okay, we, but, but we write the menu.
0: But one of the like the hallmarks of a good, a, a really high quality restaurant is consistency. Yeah. And typically, the most restaurants achieve that because. They make the same dish over and over again, right. and the line cooks exactly. handle it. They know how to reduce the sauce and get the doneness at, to that level and how to assemble the dip plate. If you're sort of freestyling every day, how do you know that the line cooks are stuff- Well,
1: it's not freestyling at all. It's a really, it's a, it, only four people are out to write the menu. And that's myself, Sean, Danny, and Sean. But
0: the other cooks need to execute those and like, hey, we're going to do something different today Yeah, when a yesterday. chef walks
1: in, he doesn't know if he's going to be making a risotto that day. But I will decide. I say, oh, I've got Harry, and he can do a really good artichoke risotto. So I'd really like Harry to do my artichoke risotto. Mm-hmm. And maybe Harry will teach um, Cecily how to do an artichoke risotto. He'll work with her. It's yeah, a You, to, you
0: to do that that day before like, service starts? Mm-hmm. That doesn't concern no, you. Like, no, it I does. Cecily gets her act no, together. No, she today? won't be
1: making it for days. No, she'll be she'll be watching Harry. <laughs> okay. She'll be doing a bit. So she'll, it's a constantly be, it's a constant, learning and you schooling. have to teach people because otherwise, if you're a restaurant, as you say, you could have a restaurant where you just are, you know, doing, I suppose, sauces every day. But you know, I think the reason that people probably stay, and I would not, I would not trust the most important thing, as you say, is a kind of consistency. Is that when Adam Rappaport comes in for Lunch it doesn't matter if Cecily is frustrated because she wants to learn how to make a risotto. What matters is that you have a great risotto. Yeah, because you know why well, I'm, s- I'm going to go on
0: TripAdvisor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I think you know. I think you can be. You know, it's it's an educate. You know, of course, do we have do we have problems? Yes, have I? You know, uh, oh, we all do. You know, we all do with 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 the quality.
0: Well, what about all right in terms of quality variance within quality? Because so, I remember years ago. I was in Tuscany with you, and we were doing an article on your sort of summer vacations in, in, in Tuscany and, and cooking and hanging out and whatnot, and Sean was there and Joseph were there, and the three of you were talking about how you make linguine vangole. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing was you're all chefs at the same restaurant, hmm. but you were all had slightly, slightly different, different techniques ideas. and preferences yeah. Yeah. And, and how yeah. to do it. Within that sort of framework, which is amusing,
1: it's it's interesting that you say. I mean, I don't know how to convince you that I will have somebody call me up and say, "Oh, uh, I had I was in last night, and you know Joseph was cooking." Well, Joseph was cooking means that he was running the shift. You know, he was deciding who was was making that, and and he will decide that he's going to put you know, langoustine and um, red mullet and clams in the risotto, he will have done that. And so a lot of them, people, they, there is an identity. When I did Sunday Lunch not long ago, this one when Mrs. Marks comes in all the time, she said, Ruthie, I knew you were on because of that ravioli. And I was like, oh, really? Did we do ravioli? <laughs> I wanted to say. But it's, it's true. We it, it's It's not... It does change and it does, it, it, you know, there will be, but, but there's such a kind of clear direction that I, I have such trust in the people who, who either cook for me or run the shifts, my partners, the, those four that I yeah. described. I have such implicit trust that I know I know that I will not be mortified by something they've done.
0: Can we talk about Sunday lunch? Mm-hmm. Sunday lunch is not a thing in the United States. Right, you it's know, brunch, isn't it? Yeah, they, people wait in line for like an hour and a half for brunch and yeah. they yeah. eat in 15 minutes and yeah. they're out the door. Yeah, yeah. Sunday lunch is obviously a, a, a British thing. Can you talk about what the scene is like at River Cafe on a Sunday? Who's yeah. coming? How yeah. long? Sure. what are they eating? What's sure. the deal?
1: The deal is that Sunday lunch has its own unique atmosphere. So we have people who just book every Sunday, and then let us know if they're not coming. So... We know, and they're families, and they come with their children. And um, as you know, we're on a kind of green space. So even if the weather isn't very good, the kids are out there playing. Having having been having there been with been a
0: there? certain rambunctious 12, yeah. 10-year-old of mine, it's at some <laughs> point, three like, others. why don't you and your, and mm. your three grandchildren, like, why don't you guys just go outside and play? And they play. do.
1: Yeah. yeah, they're really happy to yeah. do that. So it's a very family atmosphere. It's people that we know. We know that we know that it, it'll be not the easiest service because they are also I, you know, it's the ones that come up every week. You know they want what they want. Yes. You know, and so we know that it's been going to be a bit more exhausting because they will want this with that, and they won't want this with that. But that's another subject. We also you don't know, want to name any names about who the oh nice most no. difficult customers. Oh no! Why would I ever do that? <laughs> no, no, we don't have difficult customers. Oh come on! No, we don't. No, we don't. I always say a waiter comes up to me and say, "There's a difficult table," and I said, "How exciting!" Because you, know? uh, you know what you want to do with a with a difficult table is turn them around so they're not difficult. But anyway, that's another subject. So Sunday. We start earlier. We start at twelve o'clock. We do a lot of pasta on a Sunday. And people stay for a long time. We don't we start at twelve. We kind of book in people at three fifteen, three thirty, so oh, wow. it goes on. As I said, it's family, but then there are new people, they're friends that see each other and people stay for a long time. We look at the menu. We know the kind of things people want to eat on a Sunday. It's still the same menu, you know, we have we have f- usually four pastas, three meat, three fish, yeah. and probably eight starters.
0: Yeah, and it's explicitly lunch, not brunch. You're no. not doing no, 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 eggs no, 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 no. and pancakes no. and all that nonsense. No,
1: no, no. If you looked at the menu for Saturday lunch, it would be the same, you know, kind of idea.
0: The space itself, very, n- probably not what people expect of a very sort of true Italian, Italian restaurant. Mm. Are people surprised when they walk in the door who've never been?
1: Maybe. I don't know. I think that. When Rose and I, there was a whole generation, you know, to say that Alice Walters and Simon Hopkinson and um, Sally Clark and Roly Lee and, you know, we, we went, you know, when we opened these restaurants in the 80s, it was like, you in, particularly in London, you could either eat really well and be terrified. You know, you'd go to a very formal restaurant, you'd change, you shower, you kind of were terrified of the sommelier, you were whatever, but you ate very, very well. Or you could go to the local trattoria and it would be so much fun and you could go in 10 minutes late and you could be noisy and you could add to your table and you could, you know, decide what wine. And so I think a lot of what went on. I mean, Wolfgang Puck really is was the legend of that because he thought, well, you know what? Why can't you eat really well in a place that has the drama and the fun and the excitement and not the intimidation? And I think that's... What we wanted to do in the River Cafe is you walk into the space, there's no good section, no bad section, there's no... It's just one big room. It's one yeah. It's one room, and you see the... the Because going to a restaurant is a bit of drama, isn't oh, yeah. it? You know? well, and yeah. But
0: good or bad. You yeah. want there to be drama.
1: Yeah. And, and actually, I have no problem, and I enjoy that formality sometimes. I do. I love going to a restaurant and feeling that... Even that intimidation, whatever it is, it's a sense of occasion. But the restaurant that we have is one where you see there's so much drama in a restaurant. There's a drama between the waiter and the chef. There's a drama between the chef and the chef. There's a drama between the waiter and his customer. And, of course, there's a drama between the customer and the customer. And you can either hide all that drama and downplay it and be very hush-hush, or you can enjoy that drama. So in the River Cafe, you can see... If you want to, the chefs what they're cooking. You can see the the vegetables on the bar. You can see how they the waiters are coming up. We don't have any waiters that or managers that won't take your order because it's somebody else's table. You know, if you want a piece of bread, the sommelier will get it for you. We have no none of that. So there's a kind of there's a kind of interaction that goes on, and um, it's light. It's um, it's got a view of the river. It has a bar. It's got I've, heard there's, the I've I heard there's not a view of the river. I read no, the no, that that trip advisor. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> she was really mad. You couldn't see the river. <laughs> and um, so I think that the way we want our restaurant to be may be surprising to people think maybe that they're coming into a different kind of yeah, restaurant. It's, I don't know what an Italian yeah. restaurant looks like anymore because oh. I went to. But at the time, at the time you did, yeah, you thought, yeah. You, thought
0: you thought it would be more Tuscan or Roman. Yeah, yeah. You, the, the, the servers there were very brightly colored clothes, yeah. uh, there's definitely a, the, the bright pink uh, wood burning oven, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very yeah bold and open and, and light. Yeah. Who did the logo for River Cafe? Uh, that was Rose's
1: husband, David McElwain, who was an, an artist sculptor, and we were trying to figure out, we didn't know what to call it, this was, and then in 1986, I was in the summer, I remember very well, and we all started drawing the word River Cafe and as I said, Rose was an artist I was a graphic designer, and David worked in wire so we said, why don't you just try doing the word River Cafe in wire? So if you look at it, it is a piece of wire. Oh, wow. That is... And so it's stuck. It's been the same Yeah, we've since. just stayed with it. You know.
0: Talk about changing things or tweaking things. The new book, the new mm. old book, the River new book. Cafe, 30th Anniversary Edition. What did you change in this book in terms of the recipes at all? Did you revise them? Did you yeah. tweak them? What? Because uh,
1: d- It's an interesting book because it was actually... Since Rose died, we talked a lot about doing another book. What would we do and what would I do? And I wanted to do a book because we love doing books. And the publisher came to us, actually, and said, you know what, you're coming up for your 30th birthday in September. Why don't you do a book? Now, this was in December, and the book had to be out by the following September. (laughs) Or this was January, even. And so we talked about the idea of taking the first cookbook. The River Cafe Blue Book that you read in college, and looking through it 30 years later and thinking, how has this changed? What what recipes are our favorite? How would we we all cook 30 years later, depending on the the availability of ingredients and our interest? But we wanted it to have an energy. Of course, it's not. And so we have, I think, in that book, there are 90 recipes from the Blue Book, but there are 40 recipes that are new because we needed – we wanted – we didn't yeah. want to just redo the Blue Book. And it was a very, very exciting kind of way to work. It was very speedy. I mean, I wouldn't dare say this to you, but it, it maybe it felt like doing a magazine that <laughs> we were yeah. well, right. that we were kind of – doing this with the designers we had these brilliant designers and a, and a great photographer Anthony Michael and Stephanie Nash and um, and Matthew Donaldson and Johnny Picozzi of course and we all just said we'd take every photograph outside and we revisited the recipes so there's a lot of shadow and light there's a lot of bright color we used Joseph Albers the artist did a typeface when he was at the um, Bauhaus that kind of reminded us of the we have the, yeah. the past, the 30 is the blue, and it has the uh, the carpet and the.
0: Whose idea th- was the hot pink pages when you look at the, the side of the book? It
1: was the designers, and we almost that's, that's genius, didn't get by it. The way. Yeah, it does. It's, if you see that pops. conference, yeah. it was so much fun because we were at the uh, conference at the, the other day. Bomb Conference. And Jubilee. with Becca, and you could just see people carrying them, yeah. and you could just see them all it's over like the room because beacon. of the pink. And of course, they tried to cut. I have to say that the um, Knopf have done a brilliantly beautiful book for us. Our,
0: our mutual friend, Christine Malky, alluded to the fact that you might have made some revisions on your famous chocolate nemesis cake recipe?
1: Um Why would we want to do that?
0: I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, some people the first time around, people. <laughs> some people on TripAdvisor were complaining about whether or not the recipe worked because they had it. <laughs> they went to the restaurant they wrote a very good and review. They said it, it was the best dessert they'd ever had. <laughs> and and then, then, then when they tried to make it at it home, it didn't, it didn't turn out uh, the same.
1: Well, you can forget TripAdvisor. Julian Barnes, our brilliant novelist, writer, wrote a piece in the... Um, in, in a, in, which was later in a book which I wanted to put in the book we didn't have space about the fact that go to any dinner party in the 80s in London and you would see sort of on the side as you walked in this kind of black dark brown splodge of something that didn't work um, The Nemesis does work it is easy to make and you need the right size tin, that's crucial. Mm-hmm. If people would call us up and say, I did the Nemesis and it overflowed or it didn't work, and then you quiz them. We, we, we came to New York, Rose and I, and we went to Dean and DeLuca, and we got these fantastic cake tins. And so I think we did the Nemesis that size. And you could, of course, you couldn't obtain that size tin in London Mm. so people that was one of the problems (laughs) Um, and then we probably we you know people sometimes say to me Ruthie those recipes in the blue book and I go come on give me a break it was our first book you know (laughs) but that doesn't justify ruining someone's dinner party but um, we then in the easy book we did an easy nemesis and we got the smaller tin and then this one we went back to the cooking time the really crucial thing of putting the towel in the bottom um, so this one you made sure work. you got right, but it's you really you also right.
0: mentioned that in the book that you originally did this book almost as a cookbook for your chefs, and so there was yeah. a certain understanding that the people cooking kind of this manual. food also yeah. had an understanding of how to cook. Already. Yeah,
1: we would be there. It was a it was a kind of way. Yeah, it was it, you know a cookbook is a manual. It has to be right, and I have no. I I I'm being a bit cheeky and dismissive, but I. I do think that you can inspire people in a cookbook, but it has to have a rigor. It has to be right because, you know, they're, there. now, if people then don't follow the recipe, you know, I grew up on Julia Child, it's quite interesting that Rose grew up grew on up Elizabeth up Taylor, Upstate New York. Upstate New York, and Rose grew up with Elizabeth David. I grew up with Liz- Julia Child, who would say, measure a souffle dish and it will be this much and many inches high and that deep and that wide and then you'll put a quarter of a table, you know, a tablespoon of, you know, whatever you're putting in and she never talked about seasonality to her child. She never said, and then there would be Elizabeth David who would just say, find the ripest tomato and put it in a tin with some olive oil and you go, how much, you know, What? how but, much uh, oil? Yeah, but what, Julia you know.
0: also was trained in that the French way of cooking, and the French are so meticulous yeah. and specific, where the Italians are just yeah. like, yeah, take a, but, some tomato, some olive oil, exactly. and put some salt on yeah. it. Yeah,
1: but the thing about Julia Child, which I really am so grateful for, is that if you followed her scientific recipe, you never failed. It was a success, and I think that gives you a confidence as a cook. If you just fail so many times, you'd probably give up cooking. It's not worth it. But if you kind of followed her recipes, I always say that gave me a kind of inner confidence that I could do it.
0: All right, Ruth, before we let you go, we're going to do the lightning round with you.
1: Oh, really? What's that?
0: Oh, yes. Yes. Hey, hey. (laughs) It's either or questions, so you have to answer. That, sorry. Oh, really? Yeah, you got it. Lazy
1: know. journalism, I'd say. No. Wow! <laughs> no, come on. It's fun journalism. This is when they call you up and say, give me your 10 favorite Christmas utensils for, oh God, you know, love, kitchen. Love, and it's like, know, please, you know, that's your job you know, as a journalist. You know, who, you, know who
0: loves, <laughs> you know who loves the list? The internet loves the list. The
1: internet loves the list. Okay, either <laughs> or. Okay. How about
0: mm, Borlotti or Cannellini?
1: Borlotti. Why? I love the creaminess of cannellini, but I love the kind of um, confidence of putting a a borlotti bean with fish or with, um, it has a hard shell. Mm. I love the color, and I love, I would definitely go for the borlotti. And I love fresh borlotti. We really use fresh borlotti all summer. If you can find them, yeah,
0: Yeah. fresh beans. I I always, I've talked to you about this before, beans to me are elusive. I feel like I never make them well. Mm. When do I add the salt? Uh, like, well, no, you can't put the yeah, salt in first. You got to put, gotta put it in the end. In Wait, later. Why not? Yeah,
1: because why? it does harden the skin. The myth is, you know. So they, when do you I add don't, the salt? I add the salt sort of when I feel like it. Sometimes uh, I usually add it at the end. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I would put it in the cooking water myself. But
0: you also do mm-hmm. a healthy amount of olive oil, right?
1: The thing about boilotti beans is that you should; they should be in so much olive oil that you're kind of like it's it's under <laughs> underwater. I really do feel that. I don't like it when I see it. And when you go to Italy, they do. They give you those portolotti beans on the side, and they pour the olive oil over it. Wait, we're, before
0: so, we get back to the lightning round, because I know the listeners can't wait for more lightning round, how much money do you think the River Cafe spends on olive oil a year?
1: Oh, oh, I, um, a lot. Like ballpark. Uh, let do some quick math. We can do it. Okay. Uh 10, I don't know, 50,000 pounds here. 50, 80,000 wow. pounds.
0: So close to $100,000 just on olive oil.
1: Probably, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I believe it. It's not cheap, mm-hmm. that
0: stuff. Okay. Fresh or dried pasta?
1: Uh, dried sometimes. I'd say dried. Better dried. If you don't, if you have any doubt, go for the dried.
0: Clogs or Birkenstocks?
1: Oh, um,. Well, clogs. Yeah, I like clogs. What color? Black. Black. Yeah, you know, we we don't have this kind of amazing fashionista thing in England. For I'd love to I, when I was at that festival, there were all these great different shoes and oh, trousers. I, as if, as if
0: you never go shopping. Come on. No,
1: but I'm saying for the kitchen. <laughs> for the kitchen. Okay. Yeah, you know we have our little blue checked trousers from London Linen.
0: <sighs> um, Dover Sole or Branzino?
1: Oh, interesting. Difficult one.
0: This is some serious journalism
1: going on here. I would probably go, oh, it's really hard, that. I We cooked oversoul, whole oversoul in the wood oven. Ooh. And we sometimes put capers and wild oregano on it. Sea bass is, is a more difficult fish. I always like fish on the bone. Well, first of all, I think it's been overfished. Secondly, mm-hmm. I think that the sea bass you get in the Mediterranean just has a better taste. Um, there's a lot of sea bass that comes from the the water is the Atlantic that we get it and it isn't it isn't it's it's been a bit flabby lately and I think that Ooh. it just it just is a, and I think that the um for me fish on the bone if I can have a whole sea bass on the bone for me it's always about food on the bone whether it's a piece of meat or a piece more of fish more flavor and so that's that soul having a hold over sole is very good
0: do you typically do the branzino salt baked is that mm-hmm. in the summer of?
1: we yeah. do yeah.
0: Um Champagne or prosecco?
1: Oh, neither. I'm not. I'm not really interested in either of that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what
0: kind of answer is that?
1: It's an answer. Are you asking me. Who, you came up with the two choices. It's not okay. my responsibility to come up with one of them. I'm not. I'm not a. If it's really old, old champagne, I would go for that. But I don't like starting a meal as prosecco. We do it. Uh, the fruit drinks. You know what bothers Probably me? Take a vodka. You know what bothers me Tell when me. you go to
0: a nice restaurant. This is going to yeah. sound like a really poncy thing to okay. complain about. Yeah. But it's like they bring you over a glass of champagne, and I, yeah. I'm like, actually, I want yeah. a cocktail. I'd like a cocktail. I like a I cocktail. Want, like cocktail. Like they have a moment. That almost I don't want to hit start I with agree. the champagne. I agree. I agree. It's agree. There's things to complain yeah. about. That's obnoxious, that's, but I'm no. complaining.
1: Yeah, that's okay.
0: Paris or Rome?
1: Ah, uh, that's hard. No, it's not. Uh for a weekend? Yeah. Or for my life? The rest of my no, life?
0: No, let's, let's do a weekend. Long weekend. Weekend Rome. No, yeah, I love Rome. Rome's
1: overrated. I, I was just in Rome. Rome it just feels so I touristy. Was in Rome. Like I was in Rome last year for a month for, because my husband was sick. And I remember coming one evening down from the top of one of the hills around Rome where his clinic was. And I went down and I sent Rue, our mutual friend, a, fa- a text. And I said, this is a fact. Rome is the most beautiful city in the world. Wow. It's a fact. And it was because I'd passed a call. Now... I probably could have been in the, you know, in Paris and gone through the Concorde and over the Seine, and I would say that. But there was there was a beauty to Rome what at month night. Was this? It was June. It was okay. night. It was dusk. I came down. We went past the Spanish Steps and then we went yeah. through the Colosseum, and I just thought, this is history. It's beautiful.
0: I will say this in defense of my very judgmental statement: the last two times I've been in Rome is like the middle of August, which is like yeah. the last time you should no, go no, to Rome. No, like there's no, no one there. No, 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 yeah. no. Except no, for no, other no. tourists it's like yourself. Hard, yeah. Uh, Twombly or Gustin? Oh, that is
1: mean. Yeah,
0: well, you got to pick one. Hard journalism, hard-hitting. I
1: I have two artists in our house, Uh as you know, (laughs) and one is Twombly and one is Gustin, and I knew them both, and I loved them both, and I think that they're very happy together. You know, there's something something about the way the marriage of those two artists is very beautiful. I I refuse to give a, it's (laughs) like saying, which child do you love more?
0: Oh come on! You can tell me. I don't have. <laughs> <that>. I don't. <laughs> Couple more, uh, cardoons or punterelle.
1: I love punterelle. I love. I I would start a. I would start a meal with puntarell, romana, every day, every meal, because it. Cl- there's something about the cleanliness and the purity of that. Salty anchovy, crispy, crispy um, lettuce with what well, you can call lettuce, the punterelle, the chicory, chicory shoot. So 100% punterelle.
0: All right, last question. I think I already know the answer, but we do. this for everybody, butter or olive oil?
1: Interesting. Well, I have to say that I have really begun l- really loving butter a lot. I mean it's You're really You're just fun. coming around to it now. I'm just coming <laughs> around to it recently. No really really recently. My gra- my mother-in-law used to say Anybody can cook with butter. That was one of her real compliments yeah. to me, of course, is we know, in early <laughs> marriage years, and she was a great cook, you know, because she never... She did apparently use butter in the early days because she was from Trieste, and so she always used to tell me about roasting that veal with a knob of butter mm. and putting it in the oven. And then she became obsessed with health and decided that it wasn't any good. So she never cooked with butter. Um, and I think, you know, but she used to say, and I will quote her again, that butter is the best cheese... And it's Ooh, true. It I is. Like a, it's point. a great cheese. Uh, if you just have butter, I have a way of having toast with butter, which is that I toast it, and then I let it cool a bit so it isn't doesn't melt. I don't like melted butter on anything. I like it when it's like a piece of cheese. But of course, for me, cooking wise, it's olive oil. Yeah.
0: Ruthie Rogers, thanks for coming on the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Okay,
1: Adam, it's great. Thank you for having me.
0: The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che, and produced and edited by Emma Wartzman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wortsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at foodcast at gmail.com.
1: Thanks for listening.